Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection. As we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello, and welcome back to Belonging, the podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here. So good to be with you today and always. Today's episode is with someone who has been a teacher, a mentor, a wise elder in my life for the past several years. I met her at a gathering called Spirit Weavers uh, that is in Southern Oregon at the beginning of each summer. Although I met her when it was in California, I believe in 2016. And she is known as Grandmother Sarah, Sarah McLean Bicknell. She is a wise elder in many lineages, uh, including her own of being of the British Isles as well as now being in the Pacific Northwest and having been adopted into a Lakota family. And she is powerful. I came to know her for her work in dreaming and working with our dreams and getting to know and divine what our dreams are telling us. Really, she's she's who I can credit for reconnecting me to taking my dream space seriously and working with it to move through these blocks in my life and to reconnect with my ancestors and to feel the the greater connection to all that is and all that was and all that will be. And then I got introduced to the work of family or ancestral constellation through grandmother Sarah and have participated in several now with her over the years. And that has been a very powerful healing modality for me in healing ancestral wounds and traumas and really working through seemingly low-key blocks like perfectionism. (laughs) That is not a low-key block, but you know what I mean? Things where I'm like, why can't I get over this 
darn perfectionism. Why can't I move through this immobilization, inability to use my voice, whatever it is. And Sarah's work with Constellation really sees the deeper patterns that permeate the family systems we come from, whether they are of blood lineage or not. And it has been deeply healing for me. Incredibly. I, I honor grandmother Sarah and her work so much. And I wanted to have her on today to explain more about this work of constellation and what it means to engage with your dreams. So I'm so looking forward to you listening to this. I will give a content warning that we talk about some pretty tough stuff when it comes to ancestral trauma, particularly sexual abuse. So if that's something you don't want to hear about today, then this is an episode to skip. Otherwise, I think that this is really powerful stuff and I'm so looking forward to hearing what you think about it. So hit me up on Instagram at Becca Piastrelli or head on over to belongingpodcast.com and let me know by leaving a comment. Okay, here is Grandmother Sarah Bicknell. Thank you so much, Grandmother. That's how I that's how I was introduced to you at Spirit Weavers four years ago was Grandmother Sarah. And I felt so excited to call a woman grandmother because I didn't have that relationship with my grandmothers. They were oh. sort of far away and, um, you know, didn't live near me and we didn't sort of have that reverential relationship. It was a little bit more, I don't know. I was fearful of them and there was sort of like an emotional disconnection. I feel deep love and connection with them now that they've um, transitioned. But when I met you, and I felt your power and your presence and that you asked to be called Grandmother Sarah, I, um, well, I immediately was very interested in what you had to say and what, what you do. So maybe you can start off by saying um, where you come from. Who are your people? Who are my people? Thank you. Well, Becca, this is a great opportunity, and thank you so much for wanting to include me in the airwaves of your work. So uh, really, really grateful to that. And my name, full name is Sarah McLean Bicknell. That's my name from England. McLean is my maternal line. Bicknell is my paternal line. And I was born in England. And uh, my maternal line is from Scotland, from the Maclean's that were keepers of the land around Iona and Mull, mm. that sort of early Western Highland coastal mm. area. And like many families, over time, things change. <laughs> and some of my old relatives in the Victorian era kind of stepped out of the traditional tribal holdings to step into the new sort of industrious world, industrial world, um, and became sort of bankers in Shanghai. Oh. Yeah, which, you know, so we go from to the other extreme of also really acknowledging the deep ancestry I have of one that showed up around the world and possibly wasn't the kindest or the most sensitive being to those that lived there. Yes. And I think it's an important part of the heritage of Northern Europeans is the two sides, our original side before we were disconnected from the earth and 
what our ancestors did in order to give life to the ongoing generations in the way of that era, neither right nor wrong. So kind of a, um, a big stretch. And then when they came back from Shanghai, they actually, the family lands then actually moved over to Eastern Scotland, Highlands um, up above Aberdeen. And so as a child, that's more what I was in connection with, though I also was in deep connection with Mull and Iona through mm -hmm. another family. So I spent some time there and I spent time up there as children on holidays, right? Mm. Then my father's um, ancestry goes way, way back. It's one of the ones that we, um, there's more of a connected lineage and it goes back to um, the keeper of the big fires that were set up throughout the, the landscape of England. There were fires that were kept on the top of the hills to warn those coming in of someone approaching ships, approaching particularly during the Spanish Armada at that kind of time. But um, they were older than that too. And there's a very ancient practice of fire keeping. And the one that my father's lineage is connected to is called Beacon Hill. And that's in Southern England actually. And that's where the name Bicknell comes from. Mm. And I have learnt how fortunate I am that I can sit in life and know where I came from yes. and how big this is. Then in my second half of my life, I arrived in, I was already in America. And so I had my lineage that I just described to you here. And then I came across a group of Lakota elders, or they came across me. I'm not sure quite how that happens. And they, it was a very uh, connective meeting, a very loving meeting, a very familiar meeting, even though this was, uh, these were peoples that I knew less about. And in their tradition, when they connect with someone that they feel that they know that is really part of their own family in some way, that they then, it is a practice they have of actually adopting you into the family. And for them, once you're adopted, you are part of their lineage also. Mm -hmm. So that is, I refer that to, you know, that is also my lineage that I'm really honored and in awe of sitting on the edge of because it was not what I was born into. And I'm very aware of that, but this enabled them to really train. Well, I was exposed then to ceremony in a very different way. I was given my name, which is Hiba Oyate Wanchiniape, which means afternoon dreamer who helps the people is one of the best translations I've been able to hear of that. Yeah. And I most myself many years with the Lakota way and to walking very much with a lot of their values and principles. And one of the things that stands out to me when they first met me and the connection that was going to hold happened, there was this really powerful thing they said to me. They said, you are going to have to unlearn everything that you know. Mm. And they then proceeded through ceremony and through teaching and through putting me through various different experiences. Because when the spirit, especially um, an indigenous spirit, is involved with you, your experience of your life evolves new experience that really begins to change you inside out. 
And I began over time. I'm still, still over time recognizing that I'm seeing things, I'm seeing things differently. And as I connect more and more into our mother and into the placement of carrying these lineages and into connecting into the greater expression of well-being and health for, for us all. And that includes our mother. When I say us all, it's all of our relations. This really has powerfully, powerfully informed and changed me. And when I look back to see who they first met, I'm amazed they even looked twice. Because from where I stand now, I can look back and see how how my whole being was very much constructed along the Western paradigm. And what and for me, I've experienced that that was a fairly disconnected place. And that life has deeply, deeply has shifted and changed for me. And they were very clear that I was, you know, that what they wanted to share this with me so I could bridge it out to what they said were my people. And I think they were really referring to at that point that uh, the Western thinking. So you honor me when you say that you you feel a depth because what you're feeling is not me particularly, but it's that open access to lineages that that carry a lot of experience with them about health and well-being. And that's both lines carry deep uh, traditions of healing. And I'm really also really touched about your, you know, I was one of the first people that I, you know, I do, I do ask at spirit weavers and uh, I'm, sort of more as a stepping out even more known as grandmother Sarah. And I think one of the biggest teachings is when we have a familial connection with someone, when we call them by a name, auntie, grandmother, sister, nephew, niece, cousin, we then have a sense of belonging with that. that there's connection, there's relationship. Hmm. So that, you know, that I, I look out at nature that has been here long, long, long before there were any two-legged running around or human beings. You know, these are my, you know, and truthfully, those are really my elders. They're the ones that carry wisdom that I am honored if there's even a little bit that comes my way that can inform me as to what their needs are or what they're thinking. And we're talking about animals trees, plants, all of life. So I wonder if I am sitting in connection, then it's harder for me to cut down that tree. Mm-hmm. When I'm in connection, my prayer is about the well-being of all of life, not just the human being sitting in the middle of it. It's about does this prayer bring more and more opportunity for the grass? Does it bring it for the ant? Does it bring it for the flowers? Does it bring it for the birds? You know, do we all benefit from this prayer? Because the only prayer I wish to make is one that uplifts all of life. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'm asked to pray for someone I don't know. Right? Well, for me, you know, there's a difference between, oh, what's their name? And, oh, you want me to pray for, who was that? Oh, I can't remember the name. Oh, 
But for me to be able to offer prayer to, I don't, you know, maybe I don't, but I'm a second cousin three times removed immediately connects and links me. Mm. The moment we put it into familial terms, it's whoever it is, whatever it is, because of the English language we call things that aren't describably what we all of the scientific paradigm consider alive. Mm -hmm. but actually, all of life, including stone, everything's alive. And if everything is your relationship, you, you walk differently in it. And one of the things that came out of my last visit to Joshua Tree, where we did consolation, what came out of that consolation where we were asking, what does the earth need from us, was walk with me, not on me. Hmm. And again, the importance of the subtlety of language. We, English is the, land, is the language of the oppressor. It is the language of the conqueror. It separates, it divides us, you know, but this is the language we all grow up in. It's not about throwing this language out, but it's really paying attention to the nuance, paying attention to the relationship and paying attention to the intonation of it. Mm -hmm. So, yes. Mm -hmm. so my name is Sarah McLean Bicknell, and that's who I am. Yes. And those are your words. Thank you so much. Beautiful introduction. I just want to, um, for people who don't know what Spirit Weavers is, I just want to say that it is a gathering of women and female-identified people in Southern Oregon, at uh, the beginning of June every year, although when I met Grandmother Sarah, it was in Northern California, um, where they they gather and do workshops, and it's really about deepening into feminine ancestral ways. So you're weaving, you're dyeing with plants. Um, I took a workshop with Grandmother Sarah on dreaming, which we're going to talk about in a moment. It's You can bathe in the river, and there's song circles around the fire, and there's it's a very powerful and beautiful experience that we'll link to in the show notes. So that's what I was referring to when, or both Sarah and I were referring to when we talked about spirit weavers, I would love to know more about constellations. So actually I made a post on Instagram, Sarah, about what people, what did people want to hear about more? And two people said that they were interested in my experience in family or ancestral constellation work. And I found because I've done two, two workshops. I don't know what you would call it. Constellation weekends with you. And they've been very, and I brought Tim along and Tim was also a part of it and they were very powerful for us. And then people would ask us to explain it and we'd go, uh, uh, oh, uh. it's like kind of hard to explain and maybe shouldn't even really be put into words after experiencing it. So I was wondering if you can explain a little bit about what constellation is and what you do and then we can play a little more in that realm. Yeah, a brief little history. Mostly what I end up saying to people that really want to know, you know, the, the need to know what it is, which is more of a thinking process of wanting to articulate and label. I get it. We all need to do that. The left brain's very good at it. Is to actually direct you to Google about it, see it on YouTube. There's lots written about it. It's one of the practices that has had a lot of input from many people. It's a very big and wide and expansive practice. And so I'll just give you a 
a little history on it and allow you to, or your listeners to, to dive in themselves. Because as I said, a lot has been written and by some very articulate people. Um, because it is, I agree, a hard, um, not hard, but it's, it's always challenging to put into words the way that, that one sees at a soul level rather than how one sees at a physical mind brain level. And this work does sort of take you into that place of soul seeing. And it's very linked also to what I would call dream speak. And that may be something else we touch into a little bit. But there is a language before there is an articulated mind language. And when it's interesting to, you know, I call us all to remember that information comes into our human system through the lower spine, through the coccyx, and comes up through the gut, which is our first response area, then into the heart, which is the um, emotional responding to whatever information is coming in. And then the last thing online is the brain. So thinking happens long after the occurrence has occurred. And I think that's important to remember because we, we spent, Western world has developed this to such a point that we feel that, um, uh, that this is what's necessary to lead us through life. And actually, I'm wondering about the possibility if this brain wasn't really designed more for carrying out the messages of the heart as opposed mm. to the other way around. Right. So constellation work is a way of dropping into a different way of seeing trauma and a different way of seeing challenges where, where possibly challenges belong in your life that have to do with your soul energetics rather than your thinking energetics. And so this is why it's hard to articulate because it's a, it's a practice that is experienced before language. Mm-hmm then we put the language on it. And the person who brought this up in the present form that most of us are working with is a gentleman's name called Bert Hellinger. He was German, was coming into young adulthood at the beginning of the Second World War. You know, was was caught up not, not agreeing, but like many, much of Germany, they weren't in agreement with Hitler, but there was also no other way other than to join the military or the youth Hitler Youth, it's just if you live there, that's what, you know, you couldn't just pack your bags and move. And so, you know, I think it's good for us to remember when we get divided about wrong and right to remember that there's a whole bunch in the middle and that is coming from a very different place. But anyway, he moved, he spent time after the war as a missionary in South Africa and spent time with the Zulu people and he watched their ways of dealing with conflict and how they, yeah, how they worked out in uh, extended family problems that arose within the tribe. And then later on, he goes back to Germany. He's very involved in psychotherapy. This is the time of Gestalt, these kinds of things, is exposed to a lot of German. He was very active at that time. And he's also carrying the question the whole time, how does Germany heal from, from all that has occurred? Because there are so many divisionary factions and so everyone got hurt. So, you know, how, how does that heal? And so out of this 
composite of his experiences came this practice where the family constellation is we actually work with the what I would call the indigenous field, which is the field that is uh, present with us wherever we go. And for this work, what's present is the ancestral field for the family system. The person wants to, to wonder about why their behavior, they keep doing this behavior even though they know better or whatever it is, or maybe they have a health problem. And this is put out into an open area, circle of people around. And this is put out into the area. And then the representatives come from their experience of standing in that ancestral field that belongs to the seeker and what they experience in their body. There appears to be aspects of our brain, I think most of you are familiar with this, that we don't even really know what they do <laughs> or what it does. We don't use all of our brain. This uses something that apparently as human beings we're really connected and really good at, and uh, you will with me in Connecticut, so you also know how good animals are with this as well. Yeah, um, but there is this extraordinary place where everything starts to communicate, and the language is very simple. It's spatial relationship. It's one word here, one word there, and something arises in the field. Things move. Things change. There's a lot of emotion. It's a very often a very emotional field. And the work then is either diagnostic or actually moves, begins to move into a greater place of healing capacity. You just, you, you never know. It's courageous work because if you are seeking, you are sometimes looking at some things you'd rather not look at. And we're looking at the big, deep patterns of deep, deep trauma through incest, through violence, through war, through abuse, through murder, all of these things, very predominant, uh, leaving your homeland, you know, several generations back. A lot of things that is not present in our Western system of thinking that play uh, a really, can really show up very challengingly in our lives. And so with this practice, they've developed different ways that possibly potentially can move the field, but it's whether the field moves and whether that's really what is the best for the seeker. Sometimes it moves, sometimes it doesn't, but one looks at some very powerful stuff in a very simple way. And it's before, you know, it's once the brain comes in to start analyzing it, you're beginning to lose the power of this work. And the seeker will tell you they can feel it moving inside of them when, when, when it's going on because they're usually outside. Most of the time they're outside of the constellation. They've chosen people to stand in. And those who represent are often really astounded about how in, on the field representing they have these really strong emotions that they may not even identify with in their own lives. They get off the field and they're back to themselves. And it's, 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 it's a very clean practice. But the way it's understood is not through thinking. The way it's understood is through connection, uh, movement inside from fear and nervousness to uplifting and joy and happiness. And the shifting that moves around in the body is very simple. So that was a longer explanation than I meant to get into. Again, please read it because, as I said, there's been many an articulate person 
who has written about it really clearly. No, I think that was a beautiful way of expressing it because I think you have a wonderful way of um, using this sort of Western English language, the, the language of the oppressor, while also infusing in this uh, indigenous energy, this like old world energy to it where, you know, I, I was sitting here listening, thinking, are people going to be like really confused or are they going to be following you? And I think they're going to be following you. I think I can give a, because, because it's within all of us. That's the thing I've loved about doing this work with you is um, you actually don't do a lot of explaining. So people enter the room and we're all sitting in chairs around like a big rug. The rug is the field representing the field. The field is with us always. That Sarah was referencing. And a few ground rules, a few like housekeeping, mostly trust your body, trust me. And let's go. And we go in and, you know, people are in that room who are, have never done spiritual healing work, all ages. Um, just, I've been in such diverse rooms with you and people who I've made judgments like, well, they're not going to get into it. They're going to get too in their head and they're not going to totally go for this. And all of a sudden the seeker taps them on the shoulder and says, will you play my grandfather? They say, yes, they say step on. And all of a sudden they're, they're crying or they're feeling anger. They collapse because their feet don't work. And we find out they were paralyzed. I'm just making this up, but you know, it's pretty powerful what happens on the field. I remember the first time I read about constellation work was Sarah Beek's book, Red Hot and Holy. And Mm -hmm. she was talking about, yes, what she was talking about being in a constellation and having this strange man be her, her mother and be crying. Actually, I don't think that's the exact story, but something like that. And I read about it and I felt a little unnerved, but equally, if not more curious. And that's the thing about ancestral healing work. And that's the thing about the work of belonging is this is within us. And epigenetics has shown us that trauma is scientifically passed down through our cells. And we're feeling so much. And all of us come from complicated ancestral stories like you mentioned there's there's a lot there's sexual abuse there's there's alcohol abuse there's war there's famine there's immigration that was not by choice there's there's oppression there's slavery there's conquering there's so much and i think to deny that that's happened to get us here today is to not see the opportunity for healing and so in i know in particular my most recent constellation with you I had a very, what I thought was a very basic question about my relationship with worthiness, not basic at all, very deep, very intense. And we ended up working on my patrilineal line seven generations back. And it made, you know, I'm the seeker, which is the person who comes with the question. And I'm watching half strangers, half people I kind of know, really working out, like unraveling a knot in my ancestral system and you are walking around and very subtly listening, checking in, you know, guiding people around, moving someone towards someone, then checking how does, and then I have someone playing me on the field, asking the person who's playing me, how does that make you feel? What's happening here? As I'm just witnessing this deep, within deep gratitude, this unraveling, this healing within me, Oftentimes I'm crying in relief and, and feeling the pain leave me and all this stuff. And, and I just think it's one of the most powerful practices we as humanity can do 
to remember our connection and to heal these wounds to be better ancestors ourselves. Beautifully put, beautifully put. Thank you. Um, Yes, I lay at the feet of this practice a huge growth in my capacity for compassion. Yeah, ooh, you you do bring that in every time because we come across some pretty tough stuff. Mm -hmm. And can we expand the container so we can witness and hold this and have room for all of it because we are all of it. And Constellation will start to show you what you're excluding in your life. Mm-hmm. And through exclusion, it can create symptoms that can directly affect your health in, you know, in your own personal life, even if something happened years, you know, previous generations. Can you give an example? Well, I'll jump into a kind of a murky subject for people, but one that comes up a lot because through the disconnection of us over the last 300 years from the field to industry, just in, I'm talking about Western world at this point. And for all those that have been moved by the Western paradigm to be whatever it is, the Western paradigm needed or wanted them to be in that way. It includes everyone. Right there, but through disconnection, one of the things that seems to have insidiously wormed its way into human behavior is incest. And so, and how do you define that? Incest is sexual abuse or by very intimate family members. And I'd put that grandmother, grandfather, mother, father, brother, sister, and then possibly uncles, but aunts, but more there is what I'd call the second circle out that has many progressive circles. It's kind of like the stone is the incident, the trauma, and then there are these waves that go out. Yeah. And it, you, uh, and these waves, if, they're, if the trauma isn't repeated each generation, i.e. there isn't continued progression of incest, it still has a wake through the generations. There's still, there's still that sort of rippling effect that happens afterwards when you drop a stone in the lake and it goes out and out. And I think now that they've really sort of honing it down with scientific measurement of, guess what, seven generations. Mm-hmm. Um, but then... The trauma itself is, is weakened, but the pattern is there. The very sort of pattern of behavior of, um, say, you are, the, you are on the maternal line and, and you are in the line of recipients of being the victim of incest. You know, we'll just use those really heavy terms right now, but you're on that line, though it never occurred to you in this lifetime, you had a very loving family, far from anything happened to you, yet you're exhibiting some behavior as if it had happened to you. Mm -hmm. But how can you heal from something that hasn't happened to you? You don't have a tangible anything to deal with this trauma. You've kind of inherited it in your birth, in the pattern of your birth somehow. This appeared with you because the original person that suffered the trauma from that was too big. They couldn't integrate it. They couldn't make sense of it. It just couldn't integrate into their lives. Or the, or the society or their anything. privilege level couldn't Probably hold it. Incest, they were silent, silenced, right? But right. they can't do it. The person, this is for any trauma that's big, can't be integrated. So then that's what gets the momentum of it going down the family because there is the human system 
is constantly seeking to rebalance itself all the time. So we show up and we're rebalancing trauma, maybe from our lifetime because it's repeated exactly or not. And it's trauma from way back, several generations to seven generations. And so we have that pattern around us, which gives us that energetic field. And so people are responding to it as if it is. And the behavior corresponds of yourself. And maybe there's some inappropriate behavior around you from people sexually that doesn't seem to happen to your best friend over here. And there really isn't any reason. Mm-hmm. I find constellation work brilliant for the stuff that we go. I don't understand why I'm like that. I can't really trace it. I've done my personal work. I've looked at this. I've looked at that. And somehow something doesn't add up. And I still have this proclivity to shrink when a man I don't know walks into the room or whatever it is. Yeah. But, you know, I've never had a reason for that. There's no reason the head's going. I have no reason. I can't, th- you know, mm-hmm. Whoa, let's take a moment. Let's drop down. Let's put on the field this challenge that you have plus someone who represents you. And let's see what that relationship is. And let's see if there's a relationship that goes back some generations. And that's what we start to unfold, which is what happened to you. We actually went back seven generations. And then we had to untangle from there. Mm-hmm. The field was receptive, and so it was allowing us to be able to pass that burden back in certain ways so that the person, the originator, could hold that. Rather, now they could hold that burden, they could hold that trauma in its place, the right person. So, to allow that flow of love to return back down the family line. And that's what we're looking for is accessing love the power of love to really flow through the lines. And these are traumas block it. Traumas get in the way. They're like big, you know, big loads suddenly sort of land in the path and a certain amount of love gets around. It seeps, get those stones rolled away and boy, you get the full, yeah. full, full, full force of that. Yeah. Our birthright. Right. Yeah. You do something in, um, I think this is the practice of constellation, which is the healing sentences. Is that what it is? Yeah. Where you have the representatives speak to each other as a way to re rewrite the energy. You actually, you use, you explain it. I'm not doing a very good job, Mm -hmm. but yeah. What is the role of speaking those words? The healing sentences have been developed over the 30 years that constellation has been developing as a practice of ones that, you know, because there's been facilitators that have been out there trying this and that and, you know, sort of comes back to the soul is very simple. It only stand, understands three to four words at the moment. It's like, um, we know so we've had sort of various practices of affirmations and so on that the subconscious or the unconscious can only sort of handle very direct, simple language. It can't go into negatives. It can't get into complicated language at all. But if we keep it to three or four words, that somehow seems to go in there and affect something that we don't necessarily understand or need to know, but in a good way. And so the healing sentences are usually pretty short, very direct. Mm -hmm. And... um, You know, if a representative has had a struggle with their father or something and is at that point the representative is feeling lots of hatred, then we name that. We state it. We say, yeah, as father, I see you. I am very angry. 
feeling a lot of anger, you know, very short, deliberate sentences. And when people are really been in this practice for a long time, one can usually, you know, the, then they can actually engine, you know, bring up the sentence that's, that's in true resonance with the, with people that are newer to the practice and more inclined to really direct those sentences because you don't want to say too much. It's not about the story. It's so not about the story, which is right. hard for people to understand because our brain wants a story, wants an answer, wants an explanation, wants to understand all of these things. It's a real sort of, it's really addicted to needing to know. And this work doesn't ask it to know anything. Yes, that has been such a revelation for me, the power of the healing sentences and how simple they are, you know, and that someone who's been going to therapy for a long time and needing an hour just to tell my story, please listen to me, you know, and to have these, to have a lot of what's happened in Constellation, you know, not need a lot of words in order to explain the healing that's occurring. Mm -hmm. And, And that's kind of a relief, I think, really, you know. It's really, it's a beautiful, beautiful practice. And um, if people are interested in Constellation, certainly we'll give all of your information, but like how, is there like a way to find Constellation work where people live? Absolutely. There's facilitators everywhere. It's, you know, it's a developing practice here. And, you know, it's interesting to look at Europe. They bring Constellators in to solve, you know, um, any kind of system, including business systems and organizations. And um, it's a, it's practice. It's kind of much more integrated in Europe as a practice. America has been a little slower for the pickup of it, but, you know, very much there are facilitations going on. And in fact, right at this moment, we are building a retreat in San Diego for Constellation. Oh yeah. Um, right. Right. Where people can travel to go do it. And, but if they're in the Bay Area, there are lots of constellators in the Bay Area. You just have to find someone that you resonate with and feel keeps a safe container. Yes, and very important. Also look to see who they've trained with. And it's, it's nice when you see that they're like first or second generation, you know, they've been trained by first or second generation, which means they've been trained very traditionally. They may not operate very, I, I am not super traditional the way I do it but I'm sort of in between, mm-hmm. um, but it's good. I had the traditional training and I think that's always very important to know the bones of something to really yes. and hold the bones and then find how it speaks through you. But first do it as shown and then allow the development to come from there. Yeah. Yes. Truly it's, honoring the lineage. Yeah. It's good to see who has, who you've been trained by or who the constant, the facilitator yeah great facilitator's different you get a different edge you get a different read yeah as i said we're trying to develop a large space down in san diego so that we can all gather there yeah we'll include links for all those things and for you because i i am i'm partial to working with you i think you're very (laughs) thank you thank you i wanted to use the rest of our time to talk about dreams because my first experience with you is a workshop about um, dreaming. And I personally have, have my own dream practice very much influenced by you and your work. 
and has, has just breathed a lot of life into my own ancestral connection journey. And I wanted to read a little bit of what you put on your website under your dream time offerings, which is, we have always worked with dreams. Our ancestors knew how to make meaningful connections with their dream time. And that memory is in our DNA. This is a place of regenerative creativity that is fed by the waking life and then again by dream life, each serving the other endlessly. In dream time, the world never ends and destruction becomes new growth. It expresses outside limitation and allows us to imagine a different expression of life here and now. It is a world accessible to all through simple practice and respect. Mm-hmm. And I, what I've been sort of saying is uh, our dreams were the original um, source of divination. They were the original Oracle cards. So many of us these days are looking for the tools and the things and the stuff. And we have this, this dream space that is literally accessible to all of us. No matter how much money we make, you know, we can go there. Um, and that's something that has really awakened a lot in me. So I don't know if there's anything in particular that's coming to you that you feel for the listeners who are either not dreaming or struggling to remember their dreams or just feel like their dreams are a nuisance? Like what can you, what wisdom can you share around dreams? Well, we all dream. Um, the practice is to help us remember the dream, our, our night dreaming. So if people think that they don't dream, it's, it's more that they are having a greater is a greater effort for them to recall the dream into the daytime and that is the practice just as it's our practice for, for some of us for myself anyway the practice during the daytime to also be able to connect with the night dreaming time mm-hmm. and again we're dealing with a similar language as constellation it's a spatial language it's a metaphoric language it's not literal yet it's potent and it allows the dreamer to be the intercessor of understanding about their dreams and which means that the how it translates into your life is is through the dreamer not anyone else and it's a direct connection right so throw away those dream dictionaries please do please do (laughs) yes you know, I say that for that, and I also say that for Tarot. Yeah, throw, throw what everyone else has said, because what matters is what you say, how you resonate, and what your, what your language is. And um, as you develop this language, it really shows up in your daytime. It shows up as synchronicity, shows up in all kinds of ways. I've had people come to dream retreats with me and said they don't dream Yet by the end of the retreat, usually they are so excited because maybe it's the last day, but they get really excited because they come into the dream group saying, I've had a dream. Mm-hmm. And it's just a powerful practice because you can ask questions, you can invite your curiosity into there. And as you develop it really strongly, there'll be those times where you wake up in your dream time and realize you're awake in your dream state which allows you to then move with whatever intent you wish at that time, because in dreamscape or in the reality, you know, on the other side of where of this physical world is a world that is totally magical. 
It's a world where we think and we become. It's a place of effortless shape-shifting of landscape, of people, of things. It has a fluidity that the physical life doesn't have. And the constant question for me is that, you know, at this, at this point in time, if I, in my dreaming world, am I possibly practicing what it means for that time when I leave my physical body as in death? And is this really um, nurturing um, a sense of familiarity with something that I then get to move through. And I'm not saying that I know what happens when you die. You know, that would be kind of preposterous because I'm very caught in the physical understanding of myself. Mm. Yet, dream time has shown me so much that possibly there is a very definite connection right after death into that state. And the difference being is that when I wake up, I have no body to return to. Right now I have a body to return to. It keeps me kind of sane and stable. So that's, that's the sort of interesting piece to me. But, mm. you know, I'm kind of sharing, what, you know, my more personal curiosity with the dream and maybe not answering mm. those dreams for those that are just starting off. But that's why I have a course called Dreamer and the Messenger on my website so that people can get that early stuff that um, certainly we shared in... I think with you, it was at the new place, wasn't it? Where Spirit Weavers has moved. So it would yes. have been in the tea house. Yes. Where I have special permission to do dream work in the mornings. Yeah. Yes. Really beautiful. Yeah. So that, you know, either you find me in person when I'm teaching it, but otherwise it is available. And then once you've got started, the practice is amazing. And, yes. and I encourage also the building of community through dream groups. Yes sharing having people to share dreams with and you even in that workshop uh taught us how to share dreams and how to receive dreams i think that one of the best tips you ever gave was when someone shares a dream with you to say if it were my dream i would wonder as opposed to well that obviously you're stressed out about whatever obviously you are not looking at this where it's like if it were my dream, I'd be curious about, you know, the role of the ocean or whatever it is. So, yeah, I think that's a very well established practice by, so, you know, there, there are those out there, I would say, um, you know, Robert Moss comes to mind and some others that are big names in the dreaming world. And it's very much part of their practice. The little bit of difference with me is that I, my practice is very connected to what I'd call an indigenous practice. Um, so there's a lot in common with the way that more of, a, more of an approach that reaches many, many more people. Um, but for myself, it's that indigenous place because that's, that's what really brought my dream world really alive. I'd done Jungian circles, I'd done Druid circles, I'd done this circle and that circle. But somehow when I actually stepped into the indigenous dreaming and sat in circle with those that have never stopped dreaming, really. I mean, there's mm. a lot we could say that we... And sort of gave me a sort of a slightly different edge with that, especially with the community part. Um, I don't know quite where I was going that I just, just was, I guess, kind of trying to separate, you know, just show that there are many different approaches to this. 
Yeah. This one's very personal to me because it's, it's part of my own personal practice. And it was quite a while before I actually figured out or even wanted to share it with others. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, the respect of the dreaming. And I love that dreaming hasn't changed ever. Right. Ever. We have that in common with our ancestors. We don't do it any differently than they did. The only thing that's changed is our imagery, our translator of, you know, is going to be in more relevant um, landscapes that have a meaning for us now in the 21st century that would, be, would have been different. So they would have must, you know, those would have been far more in the natural world of what was their means of survival. And we're, you know, it's different now. So the imagery has changed, but not the process or the capacity to connect and the ability to really be in connection to something far more fluid than this physical life mm. we have here. Yeah. 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 I find it so interesting that the messages I got as a child around dreams were like, they're silly or it's your brain just like doing weird things, you know, just kind of like over, I don't know, over medicalizing it or in some way, first of all, just like seeing it as, well, when you're sleeping, you're sort of like not in a space of wisdom. You're in a space of like downtime and your brain's going to do weird things. Or if you're stressed out, you're going to have a stress dream. Or if you have a bad dream, like whatever, like the medical, medicalized Western mind can look at and make mean and it feels so intuitive when you're talking about how dreaming has always been with us and humans have been around for so long and we've somehow lost this ability to see what's happening in our dream time happens to us in our sleeps as being something of value, something that we can use or read or translate for ourselves. And to instead, it feels very much like it goes along with this with capitalism, with internalized capitalism, where it's like, well, when you're not awake and doing and analyzing it with your brain, it's not valuable. And so that's, that's something that I've always been curious about dreams, but something I really appreciate about your teaching with it was a reverence for it. And then a patience with it because it's on a different pace, you know, and that it may not become clear what that dream meant for years, but that we record it that we share it, that we keep it with us, you know, put it in our like medicine bag of dreams that it all comes around. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there are those dreams where I think there is a, a sort of unloading of the brain and it's what the yes. people call a goat fish dream. A goat fish dream. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, it doesn't make sense. So <laughs> and it's just a clearing and a cleaning. Okay. Learning the difference, right? But here's the, to me, why we all need to be conscious dreamers and consciously being and supporting and participating in ceremony is that before there is anything in the physical world, first it is an idea. First, it is a dream. First, it is there is something there, right? Um, that is not material. It's not physical. Because before anything can happen in the physical plane, it has to be thought of, dreamt of, 
constructed, something has to occur in the non-physical world. When we are in denial of ceremony in, de- in our lives and we're in denial of dreaming in our lives, then we are contributing to the, the unconscious dream that we're all part of that I think I'm speaking to the choir here. I don't think anyone is really super excited about the way that power is working in our world at this time and all of the hurt and harm that we're seeing as an offshoot of that. Mm-hmm. That is the unconscious dream. And when we are not being conscious and awake and participating fully in a different kind of direction, then we're contributing to this nightmare. Mm-hmm. We are contributing Mm-hmm. by our not speaking we are contributing by us not saying i can't remember my dreams we are contributing when we say i don't even understand what ceremony is about mm-hmm. but when we consciously stand up and say i'm awake i'm going to be fully accountable and fully responsible as much as i can i'm going to develop those practices that really keep me awake now what kind of world do i want to live in becomes an active part of a dialogue that's going, that is building a new way of being. It's not that we know what that is. It's not that we have the blueprint, but we begin to be able to feel some of the butterfly wings of some of change coming in. And what is it we want to focus on? Do we want to focus on the nightmare or do we want to focus on open possibility of something different? It can't be set up in a binary system. There's something new is required to arrive. It takes our dreamers, it takes our visioners, it takes our ceremonies to really be able to bring that delicate new seed into our physical world and like the seed that has the blueprint of something very different to occur. And then can we guard that? Can we can we nurture it? Can we keep it so that it can actually take flower and live and what is it you're nurturing in your life at this time is it those that are really expanding a consciousness and expanding the world into a um, a place that is going to really support all of life and it may look very different from what we've already known but supports life in vibrancy or are you just going to give up and just say, I don't know what to do. I'm going to sit in my chair and let whatever happen, happen. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one. I never have been. It's like my, if there's anything in me that can contribute to help anyone stay in a conscious path and to really focus. I have seen, I have seen amazing images in my dream that I don't understand. I don't understand the music. I don't understand the buildings. I don't understand what they're doing, but it's new and it's amazing. And I'm going, wow, I don't have the wherewithal inside of my brain to understand what's happening, but that is different. And if I have a connection and I feel that's what I want to focus on. That's what I want to bring through. Mm. Dreaming makes it so. Ceremony makes it so. And constellation helps you really heal those places so the love can come through and open up spaciousness to be able to receive how that new vision is seeding through you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for all that you've shared. Thank you, Becca. Wow, what a note to end on. (laughs) I just want to say, um, just listening to you talk and the conversation we've had, it's, oh, it's so fulfilling to really 
hear how you've been walking through your life and the changes that have been made. Not, not, I mean, I know that I've been the subject of conversation today, but I know there's a lot more involved. You know, just how you're taking on and really absorbing and integrating a very full life. And I so deeply appreciate you. Mm, thank and I you. Would just do that in your radio. Okay, I will. <laughs> the world to know. Okay, thank you, Sarah, so much. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred, and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.